Hello, and welcome back to our podcast series. My name is Catherine West, and I am an Echo Chicago team member and the producer of this podcast. This month, we'll be diving into a topic that is near and dear to us at Echo Chicago, the use of mindfulness and resilience practices in the context of Echo series. To that end, we'll hear from several of our fantastic facilitators about their incorporation of these strategies into their series. First though, I want to share a bit about how we've made mindfulness part of our team culture. In addition to serving as Echo Chicago's Transformation Impact Manager, I am also a licensed social worker and a big fan of mindfulness as a wellness practice. When the pandemic began, we immediately began offering programming to support our colleagues on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. Just as our team was working hard to support the rest of the healthcare community, I thought it was important to build into our routine ways to practice self-care and to support ourselves and one another. I began offering short mindfulness activities at the start of each of our operations meetings. Just as it was important for us to sit down and discuss programming goals and logistics, it was also important that we find moments throughout the day for these wellness practices. Sometimes the exercises I brought were guided meditations. Sometimes they were series of breathwork practices. And sometimes they were quick activities that could be done when grounding is needed, such as the 54321 senses activity. We've also begun a practice we call a yoga mindfulness corner, where once a month a team member brings in a self-care activity to lead for the group. So far, we've had the chance to do Zumba, yoga, Qigong, stretching, and mindfulness activities. It's been a great way to bond as a team and renew our commitment to building our own mindfulness and resilience. I'm excited now to bring in our first guest, Jessica Jacoby, who facilitated our Trauma and the Workforce series. She is joined by Echo Chicago Project Coordinator, Patrick Gower, to talk about the history and clinical utility of mindfulness, as well as to share the feedback we've gotten about incorporating these practices into our series. After we hear from Jessica and Patrick, I'll be speaking with Shelly Fisher, who you may remember from our previous podcast episodes about our AHRQ Nursing Home Network Echo Series. Today, she's joining us to talk about the science behind mindfulness and why it is so effective. She will also share a quick mindfulness exercise with us that everyone listening can follow along with. It's a jam-packed episode, so let's jump right in with Jessica. Welcome, Jessica. I'm so excited to have you joining us to talk about mindfulness in the ECHO series. Um, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to start and then maybe share a little bit about mindfulness, where it comes from, why we use it, and why you feel like it's important um, in our ECHO context. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Jessica Jacoby. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm the, um, the director of clinical social work in the psychiatry department um, at University of Chicago Medicine. Wonderful. We're, we're thrilled to have you here to talk about um, your work and your role. Um, I know you've been an ECHO facilitator for us as well, and I'd love to hear, um, knowing that you were able to bring a lot of that mindfulness into the sessions, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about where we think about mindfulness coming from um, and how you think about it in your practice, both in your clinical practice and also in, in the ECHO work. Great. So yeah, well, I'll start with a, a little bit of history, very generally speaking about mindfulness. Um, 
and of course it's it's complicated and it goes back uh, thousands and thousands of years. So I'm probably not gonna cover that in, in these few minutes, um, but it, it does evolve from various religious and secular traditions. So from Hinduism to Buddhism, to yoga, um, and so people and people have been practicing mindfulness for, for thousands of years. So whether it's um, on its own or part of a larger tradition. So it was popularized by the East uh, religious institutions, but of course, um, even sort of the secular uh, tradition of mindfulness. Uh, so we've, we've borrowed from it and we um, have made it so that it's a little more accessible to uh, our, our Western cultures. Um, and so in Buddhism, sati, which is mindfulness, is considered to be the first step towards enlightenment. So, so really, it's really a moment-to-moment -moment awareness of present events, um, or it also means remembering to be aware of something, right? So you can both uh, train this practice in formal meditation or in daily activities. So I might come back to that idea of daily activities, but... Um, John Kabat-Zinn brought it really to, to the U.S. Um, and he created the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. And so we really kind of owe it to him to sort of, he sort of stripped it um, of the religious pieces and made it accessible to, um, as a mental skill, right? So he's saying, let's pay attention in a, in a particular way. So from my theoretical framework um, in teaching mindfulness, the purpose really is to foster living a rich and meaningful life, right? That's the whole purpose. Uh, why, why should we be mindful? Why should I practice mindfulness? The answer is so you can do what's important to you. It's learning about whatever's happening in the moment. And that means either internally in our interstate or externally, either one, we're, we're paying attention to this. And with this awareness, then we can sort of more consciously influence our own behavior, right? So that's key from, from where I, I teach it. Um, so it's not mindfulness for mindfulness sake, right? There's really a purpose to it and a bigger picture um, of, of really living your values in the face of emotional pain. You said something a moment ago about um, kind of mindfulness and daily activities. Did you want to share a little bit about what that looks like for you? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So um, there's a common misconception that mindfulness will lead to relaxation or, or, or will clear the mind, right? But actually the way that I uh, utilize mindfulness um, and, and I practice what's called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT uh, for short, really the opposite is true is that we're not expecting the mind to be blank. Right? We're expecting that thoughts are going to pop up constantly. And it's being aware of whatever pops in and allowing it to come in and go in its own good time instead of getting really stuck on it. Right? So practice can include um, sitting down to do a formal meditation, or it can be in those everyday moments like washing the dishes, right? So being mindful of just what's happening, the warm water, the soapy feeling, 
and then noticing what your mind brings up, right? And then working to notice that, notice it non-judgmentally and sort of let it kind of come in and come out, right? We call that the Teflon mind, right? So nothing sticks, everything kind of, you're observing it um, a little bit at a distance, right? So that's, that's the idea of bringing it into these everyday activities, which I think uh, there's often confusion. I must meditate 20 minutes a day. And that's really not the case. Using mindfulness can happen anywhere, anytime. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, how you used uh, mindfulness in the ECHO series specifically. Um, where did you bring it in? Why did you feel like it was important based on the topic? Um, and what did that look like? Yeah, great. So uh, I engage participants in a mindfulness exercise sometimes before the didactic portion um, and sometimes within the didactic portion um, so that uh, they could practice it. So, so I, I thought I boiled it down to three reasons why we practice mindfulness in the session. And one is to sort of get prepared mentally for, I'm going to sit here for, for the hour and engage in the echo series, right? And so, um, you know, Zoom fatigue, busy schedules. So our minds are sort of struggling to get into the present moment. So that was one reason, right? Let's get centered and ready. Number two really was to experience mindfulness exercises for themselves so that they can be more effective when they help patients or clients, right? So doing mindfulness yourself is essential to then teaching others. Okay. And then third, we were talking about trauma and mental health. And so when, whenever you're talking about those subjects, it's essential to acknowledge our own pain, our own struggles. Um, and by doing so, and by touching base with ourselves, it boosts our compassion for ourselves and then thus for other people. We have to take care of ourselves uh, before we can take care of other people. So that was the other reason I, I, I thought it was important to bring in. Great, um, and I'd love to bring in uh, Patrick if you wanna kind of jump in as well. Um, I know that you have experience coordinating the series that Jessica facilitates. Um, and then I know you also coordinated the childhood adversity and trauma series that made use of some mindfulness activities. Um, so I'd love to hear um, just a little bit about logistically what that looked like for you. For each series, you know, as Jessica said, the mindfulness activity would usually start off each session, uh, but um, many times it would happen in the middle of the session uh, with the facilitator giving a brief explanation and then leading the activity. Um, these mindfulness activities would really do a lot to set the tone uh, for each session, you know, creating a very non-judgmental, welcoming environment. Um, and looking back on childhood adversity and trauma course, they did go over a mindfulness exercise at the start of every session. And in most of the sessions, the participants were then invited to practice the activity themselves. There were certainly many sessions where it was more about teaching how to do the mindfulness activity uh, for the benefit of patients or presenting a mindfulness resource rather than demonstrating a specific activity to the group. Um, whereas for the Trauma in the Workforce series, in a lot of ways, I think the focus of the care technique was as much for the benefit of the participants as it was for the, the clients 
in the trauma and the workforce series. That's what it felt like. Whereas I, I do think maybe the emphasis was a little bit more towards mindfulness as a tool to help uh, benefit patients in the uh, childhood adversity and trauma series. Great. Um, and then Patrick, as you know, here in ECHO, we love data. Uh, and so I was wondering if you had any feedback from participants, anything that has come up about what the impact or experience was of having that mindfulness included. Yeah, sure. Uh, in the participant evaluations for the Trauma in the Workforce series, it was pretty clear to me that uh, the self-care and mindfulness activities had a pretty positive impact on the participants because, well, there were only four respondents for the pre and post surveys both, but three out of those four did explicitly mention the self-care in response to an open-ended question, which was, can you walk us through one change, if any, that you have made in your practice based on what you learned in this Echo Chicago series? Uh, one respondent, they responded while explicitly reflecting on client engagement, stated, uh, I am changing my approach to engagement through the use of mindfulness strategies. Uh, one other response specifically relayed that their organization is now practicing self-care for employees' own benefit, and one, you know, one respondent simply cited self-care as a change that they were making. Uh, and for our childhood adversity and trauma series, one participant also wrote in response to a similarly open-ended question um, about changes they made to their practice. I have felt more empowered to discuss the impact of trauma on my patients identify symptoms and discuss self-care and self-regulation activities. So I do believe that uh, the, those who participated really got a lot out of it based upon the data. Great, thank you, Patrick. Um, and Jessica, just to kind of come back to you, I'd love to know kind of how you think about mindfulness in this space of healthcare professionals. We know that there, you know, as we're thinking about trauma in the workforce in general, that there's been so much uh, with COVID and with everything that's been happening these past 18 months. How do you think about mindfulness as a strategy, not just for healthcare professionals to use with their clients or patients, but also for, for themselves? Being in the hospital system, the medical system, the healthcare field in general, um, there's a, a lot of, of suffering that they witness, they see, um, and therefore then experience themselves, right? They're internalizing what they're experiencing. So that's why mindfulness can be a source of building up resilience, okay? What we call like psychological resilience um, and help increase their, their life satisfaction. We notice that being rooted in the present moment is very important because we get stuck in what our mind is giving us. And instead, what can we do to um, be in the present moment and connect with um, our feelings, our thoughts, like I mentioned before, having compassion towards ourselves. So observing our thoughts and feelings with kindness, um, that then can translate towards our work towards uh, our patients and clients. It works against what we call compassion fatigue. So it basically enhances the healthcare professional's ability to do what they do so well, even when it gets really tough, right? And that's the whole point in mindfulness too, is that even when there's lots of pain and we're, we're acknowledging that life comes with a lot of pain, um, 
let's choose to approach it with some openness, some curiosity, instead of increasing that pain into suffering. Right. And so if, if the healthcare professionals can engage in mindfulness, that really, um, it doesn't necessarily make the pain of what they experience go away, but it can help them do the job and care for others. Mindfulness-based approaches are really gaining popularity, and that is because the evidence is very strong through research that these are effective strategies. So navigating stress, managing mental health concerns, enhancing relationships, um, enhancing compassion. And so the evidence really is showing that these are effective for addressing those concerns. And I believe also part of it is clearing up this misconception that mindfulness is the same as a formal meditative practice, right? That um, although yes, mindfulness can be practiced in a formal way, it's not required, right? And it can be practiced in any moment, anywhere. So I think that has boosted um, the ability to sort of use mindfulness skills um, as opposed to people thinking that they have to dedicate this, you know, enormous amount of time um, to let their mind be clear, right? And so the impact of that is really that um, suffering occurs when we get caught up in our thoughts and feelings, or if we engage in behavior trying to get rid of that emotional pain, right? And so mindfulness is saying, wait, 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 right? Instead of getting caught up or instead of trying to run away from the pain, let's actually, let's work on observing it and allowing our experience just to be as it is, right? And so when we take that approach to our thoughts and feelings, um, there can be immense benefits to the brain and the body, right? So if we can acknowledge our pain, um, again, with openness and curiosity and kindness, right, then we're less likely to increase uh, it to suffering. And we're more likely to engage in activities that are meaningful and important to us. So basically living our values. Shelly, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again to talk a little bit more about mindfulness in ECHO. Um, if you wanted to maybe kind of reintroduce yourself um, and share anything about mindfulness in general, kind of what brought you to the practice or what you think it's important for people to, um, to know about mindfulness. Sure. Thanks, Catherine. I'm so happy to be back. This is one of my favorite projects of all time. Um, not only because the people that we've worked with are so amazing, so resourceful and so committed to the project, but also because we got to delve into some really important work that I've been really focused on in recent years in terms of bolstering our workforce. So uh, my name is Shelley Fisher. I'm a nurse educator. I'm my day job is primarily with the University of Colorado on the nursing faculty. And my research has revolved around leadership influence on patient safety outcomes, primarily by way of 
bolstering and supporting and engaging the front line. And when I talk about front line, I'm talking about clearly my lens is nursing, but because it's an interprofessional leadership focus, I really work with the entire interprofessional team from the C-suite through providers, physicians, nurses, into CNAs, techs, and on down the line. And sure, folks listening will recognize your voice both from our Nursing Home Network project and also from our podcast episodes. So I think uh, anyone who joined that series will remember that you led us through mindfulness activities during almost every session. Um, and it was just such a nice way to kind of ground ourselves. So I would, I would love if you could share um, a mindfulness activity. I know um, you have so many that you, you've shared, but is there one you'd like to maybe take, our, take us through? My absolute favorite is the quick coherence technique, largely because it incorporates not only mindfulness, but also some of the breathing techniques that we know are so effective for eliciting a relaxation phase from a physiologic perspective, but also because this this technique is intended to be used on the fly, in the moment, which I think is what's most needed right now for our healthcare workforce, especially in the face of the pandemic. We need to find um, and provide tools that give staff an opportunity to just take a mini mental and physical break from the the crushing stress of the moment to moment responsibilities that they have and the challenges that they're facing. So I'd like to introduce the quick coherence technique to those listeners. So just a little bit of background before we go into it, because I find that that it's really helpful, especially for those of us that are our natural born skeptics. We want to understand a little bit of the why, um, and it really helps us. I think it helps people engage in the exercise and really get optimal benefit from it. So this technique really helps us reframe our emotions so that we can shift and reset our minds and our physiology to a more neutral or positive state. It helps us more effectively regulate our energy expenditures and increase our capacity and increase our resilience, our ability to bounce back from, as well as cope in the face of adversity or challenge. So for this technique, it's important to start by identifying a scenario that you can visualize that floods your system with feel-good hormones. So I, I usually coach people to think of something that just automatically makes them feel kind of warm and fuzzy when they conjure an image. For me, I usually use picturing myself rocking my baby granddaughter to sleep because it fills my system, my mind and my heart with joy and gratitude, warmth and love. And what's interesting is our minds really don't 
differentiate between conjuring an image in our mind versus actually being in the situation. So when we're in that situation, we are triggering endorphins and all sorts, a huge cascade of feel-good chemicals that, that combat and actually overcome the chemicals that have been triggered from the stressors that we're facing at any given time. So um, by imagining a scenario that provides those hormones, chemicals, and emotions in our, our minds, um, we actually trigger a shift in our physiologic state. So I'll give you just a minute here to make sure that you have in mind in your hip pocket an image that you want to use for the technique. So now let's do the quick coherence technique together. It's so simple yet powerfully effective that I can walk all of us through it while uh, we're actually practicing it. So focus your attention on the area of the heart. We shift our attention, our focus to the heart or chest area. Imagine your breath is flowing in and out of your heart or chest area, breathing a little slower and a little deeper than usual. Next, you make a sincere attempt to experience a regenerative feeling such as appreciation or care for someone or something in your life. So that exercise was one minute and 30 seconds, which I always bring to people's attention because it's so clear that in such a short period of time, we can really profoundly change what's happening in our bodies that can literally change the course of your day. It certainly can change in the moment your response to the immediate stressor that you're faced with. What, what 
the physiologic shift enables is you to continue to think even in the face of stress because of the connections between the um, changes in our heart, um, in our heart rate, our breathing, and how that connects with our mind, we actually enable cortical functioning. So by doing this exercise with your eyes open, while you're being confronted by an angry patient or angry coworker, you enable yourself to respond in a positive and constructive way, hopefully defusing the situation rather than contributing to the conflict at hand. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing. As always, I feel much more relaxed and, and grounded. Isn't um, it amazing? It really is. And I love that it's something that you can do just kind of throughout the day as you're doing other things as well. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I have great appreciation for the Institute of Heart Math and all of the work that they've done that that lays the foundation for the science behind these techniques. So uh, a shout out to that group. They're doing amazing work. Well, we love, we love evidence-based uh, things, so it's helpful to hear kind of what's, what's behind that. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything um, that, that you wanted to say that I haven't asked about? Is there anything that you've skipped that you think is important? I would just add, especially for the leader listeners in the group, um, this is such a quick and easy technique to not only learn, but to share. And we know from research that it's powerfully effective among team members. I described a little bit of how, how it can um, improve communication and improve um, teamwork by reducing conflict and misunderstanding and so forth. So I would encourage um, people, all listeners, to consider practicing it to become comfortable with it. Practice it three to four times a day while you're driving, while you're um, having lunch, while you're in the midst of a stressful situation, but maybe even more importantly, share it with colleagues. It's really useful to do a quick exercise at the beginning of a meeting or a shift huddle just to help people get grounded, centered, um, focused, enable everybody's cortical functioning so that we can really optimize our time, minimize our conflict, improve our communication, because we know that's what improves our patient safety outcomes. I hope you were able to follow along as Shelly led us through that great exercise. But if you want to try it again, feel free to rewind and join her anytime for a moment of pause. Thank you again to Jessica, Patrick, and Shelly for joining us today for this podcast episode, and more importantly, for sharing the practice of mindfulness with our ECHO participants. As you've heard, mindfulness doesn't have to be a long daily practice. It, it can be done quickly, 
where you are and when you need it. One more quick activity you can try is the one I mentioned in the introduction, the five, four, three, two, one senses activity. For this, you don't need any materials or supplies. You'll just want to take a, note, a moment to notice your surroundings, starting with five things you can see. Then notice four things you can hear. Next, notice three things you can touch or feel. Now, notice two things you can smell. And finally, notice one thing you can taste. We hope you'll keep practicing and would love to know if you have other favorite mindfulness activities we can try. See you all next month.